What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today, we're just going to talk about some things that have kind of been on my mind lately. It is good to see everybody. It's good to have you in here. There's folks rolling in. I know usually we have, <clears throat> excuse me, usually we have one continuous stream, and, and that's a good thing most of the time. Um, but anyway, we... Uh, I'm curious to see how it works out tonight and uh, seeing seeing what some of the numbers are. So, there has been a visitor attending the Riverview Church of Christ that is very thirsty, we shall say. Like, he, this dude, he's hearing the Bible differently than he's ever heard it before. He has a, I don't want to say a disdain. He does not like charismatics. He He knows... Like he doesn't like the charlatans that that put on a show and and think that they're speaking in tongues or healing people or this that, and the other, but he has some misconceptions. And I did a podcast on cogitations uh, about talking past one another, and we were talking about how the Word of God or how the Holy Spirit rather works through the Word of God in conviction. In other words, bringing somebody to Jesus. He had a hard time with that, A, because of his presuppositions, and B, because I didn't, it didn't click with me that whenever I was talking about working through the word, that to him, I was divorcing the Holy Spirit from salvation. Well, look, you, you can't do that. You cannot divorce the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and the Holy Spirit's role in salvation today. We're renewed by the Spirit. Uh, we're born again. Uh, everyone who is born of the Spirit is born in this way. The Spirit moves us to do stuff. Now, the, the question is, how does that happen? And I've got a little old document about uh, is it through the Word or through the Spirit? And I'll share it, I'll share a little bit of you, a little bit of it with you. Um right here, directly or through the Word, um, I've got Psalm 119, 11, 119, 50, 52, 73, 81, 93, 98, 99, 100, 104, and 105. And everything that our denominational friends say the Holy Spirit does directly, the psalmist says is accomplished by the Word. For instance, the, the, the denominational, our denominational friends say that the Holy Spirit convicts us or keeps us from sinning. Well, the psalmist says that that's accomplished by the word. Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The people in the denominational world say it's the Holy Spirit that makes us alive or quickens us. Well, the psalmist says that happens um, by God's word. Uh, Psalm 119.50, this is my comfort and my affliction for thy word hath quickened me. And uh, I tell you what, I'm going to just copy. I'm going to see if I can copy and paste 
We'll get off that. In the, in the comment section, there's a list of verses from Psalm 119. And the only point I wanted to make is everything that the denominational world today and many of my own brethren, they give credit to the Holy Spirit. The psalmist gives credit to the Word. So that tells me then I have to think about the Holy Spirit doing something through the Word. In other words, he's, the, the, the power is in the Word. And I guess you could illustrate it like this. How can I make people, how can I affect people before an assembly starts and make them sit down? What can I do? Well, I can walk up to each individual and grab them by the arm and lead them to the seat and push them down. I guess I might be big enough to do that to most folks. However, a much more effective way, a much more powerful way, is I pair the truth with words that describe the truth, and I deliver them by my Spirit. How is that? Well, it's 9.55. The worship starts at 10. So I take to the podium, and I say, Hello, everybody. We're glad that you are here. It is time to, to find your seats. We are about to begin worship service. I'm going to lead us in a prayer to get us started, and then we're going to turn the service over to the song leader and then I may make a few announcements, but because of my words describing the truth, they're borne along by my spirit, people are finding their seats. My spirit did not affect them. The word affected them, but the word wouldn't be able to affect them unless the word that I spoke was borne along by my spirit. Same way with God. All people who have lived to the age of accountability have committed sin. That's in the Bible. Jesus died for your sins. That's in the Bible. If you obey the gospel by submitting your body to be buried and then being raised again, you will be walking in a, a newness of life. That is a rebirth. That is in the Bible. You're affected by that. The Holy Spirit affected you, but the Holy Spirit affected you through God's Word. It's the Word that is the power. The Holy Spirit's just the vehicle. You see, the Holy Spirit didn't take you and affect you personally to cause you to obey the gospel. All right. I think that's, I think we've covered that about adequately enough. Uh, let me get some of these comments, man. Good to see everybody. Um, there you go. Tony means fashionable among wealthy or stylish people. So Tony is fashion brewer. Excellent, excellent. Good evening, Scott Wall, Charlotte Ray, Katie Smith, Deb Magnus, Shauna Lockney, Holly Hamilton. Good to see you. And I think I said hello. I hope I said hello to Katie Smith. Yeah, I did. Good deal. And uh, Terry Purdy is, too, watching from their device. So that's awesome. And Gita, good to see you. And uh, hey, Hamilton, Connie Barden, good to see you. So many folks in, and we're so thankful that you're here. And uh, Rosalinda, Rose, it's so good to hear from you in June. Hope June is doing well. Hope you're doing well. And hope you're doing well. I hope Toronto and all the folks over there are doing well as, as, as well. How many times can I say well in 30 seconds? We'll see. Well, anyway. Jonathan says, is this similar to Calvin's doctrine of direct operation of the Holy Spirit? Yes. 
I don't think it's Calvin's doctrine, though. I think it, I think it predated Calvin, though, quite frankly. Um, yeah, so according to Calvin's doctrine, you are totally, and again, I'm not sure it's Calvin's doctrine. I don't want to get into that. We'll call it Calvin's doctrine. That's all we can do. According to Calvin's doctrine, you are totally depraved and you cannot obey the gospel. You cannot read the Bible and do what the Bible says and experience salvation. Because you're totally depraved, you're not, you're not going to have a regenerate heart to even want to do it. So, how then, how then does anybody obey the gospel? The Holy Spirit has to directly operate upon your heart and regenerate your heart first then you're gifted your faith, then you can follow the commandments, precepts, and divine examples found written in God's word. Folks, that's just, quite frankly, the most absurd thing I've ever heard. That's, 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 that's about the nicest way I can put it. Um, Connie Barton says, I wish everyone could understand what you just said. This is the word delivered by the Spirit not the spirit that works on us. You got that, Connie, and I wish everybody could too. Uh, Scott Wall is uh, giving us some um, uh, scripture from Second Peter. Confirm your calling and election according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having your hearts, hold on, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And good evening, Jacqueline Creary. Good to see you. And that's it, through the knowledge of the word of truth. The only thing that that you know about Jesus Christ outside the fact that he existed in the world that didn't come from the Bible, or you don't, excuse me, you don't know anything about Jesus Christ besides the fact that he existed in the world unless you learned it directly from the Bible. So whenever Peter writes that we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness by the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, he's saying we have all things that pertain to life and godliness through God's word. That's it. That's it. And... um Direct operation in a nutshell. Tie a boy up to a chair and place the pie just out of his reach and tell him to eat the pie. He cannot unless the bindings are removed. That's Calvin's God. Yeah. Sadly, that is Calvin's God. Um, so, anyway, I was talking to this fella, and uh, he we, we finally got that straightened out. Man, he was just like, you know, I, he said, I don't believe it, but it makes so much sense. He said, I'm going to have to chew on this. I'm going to have to study on this. But I've never heard it put this way. But what you're saying makes sense. Once we got past that barrier, and I explained to him, I'm not divorcing the Holy Spirit from someone's salvation, that the words had to have been borne along by the Spirit. But it's the words that, that have the power. If if it's the Holy Spirit, you don't you don't have you just have you just have the Holy Spirit. You don't have any words. You have you have no way of affecting the world. The word is how the spirit affects the physical 
from the metaphysical. All right, the 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 spirit bears along the world, the the word. Katie Smith says, I know this is directly part of your topic, but I don't understand the allure of Calvinism. What's the point of following that if one of the main tenets is that not everyone will be saved? Well, it's because you will be saved, Katie. That's the that's what they don't tell you. You, you're if 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 you have a desire to follow Jesus, you're obviously one of the elect, and you're and you're saved. So, but but you're better than everybody else because those other people out there, if somebody spurns the gospel, there's no hope for them because they're totally depraved, and God hasn't given them a regenerate heart nor gifted their faith. It's rather arrogant, if you ask me. But I think in order to be a Calvinist, you have to have a little bit of a superiority complex. Anyway, uh, and I think that's the draw to it. So we talked a little bit. We were reading in Genesis where the servant of Abraham, not Abraham. Yeah, Abraham. The servant of Abraham, Abraham's old, and he tells his servant, put your hand under my, under my thigh and swear a vow to go back to my homeland and get a woman for my my son to marry. But do not let him go back there. And the servant said, well, what if she don't want to come? It sounds like, you know, he was worried. Like, my fulfillment of this vow seems to be based on this woman. Like, what am I supposed to do? And Abraham said, if she doesn't want to come, you're released from your vow. So, okay, everything's good. So he goes. And the servant prays a prayer that says, whatever woman comes up, and if I ask her to give my camel a water, a drink of water, she says, let me, give your, let me give water to your other camels. That's the woman. Well, I made the point. I said, you know, I don't know if this was miraculous. I don't know if this was providential. Or I don't know if this was just coincidence. That's the beautiful thing about the way God works. And um, I could tell that our visitors' ears perked up because in his mind, I mean, it's just a miracle. I mean, if if this man prayed for this to happen and then this happened, that is bar none, without doubt, a bona fide miracle. And I'm like, well, it might not be. And I use, I don't know, it put in the comment section, if any of y'all have ever watched an adult cartoon, when I say adult, I don't mean like pornographic. I mean, just a, a cartoon like a, that, that's for adults called Futurama. Man, I love that cartoon. I like it better than The Simpsons. There's 10 seasons. You can find them on Disney Plus in Canada. And I really like Futurama. Anyway, there's an episode where one of the characters is shot from a spaceship, and he's drifting off into space, and he gets this chunk of space debris that has these lower life forms on it, and they worship the guy. And they ask him for things, and he gives it to them, and he messes it up. And then he says, I'm not giving you anything else. And they said, that's fine. We'll make it on our own. Well, it turns out there was another space chunk on his rear end. So the people on his chest and the people on his rear end started fighting with one another. And then they blew each other up, and they all died. And, of course, this made him sad. And then he kept floating, and he floated into this, this nebula. And the nebula was blinking binary code. And the robot, which that's the character, uh, said, hey, you're blinking binary. And the nebula said, oh, I am. And then the robot says, oh, you speak English? To which the nebula replied, well, I do now. 
Long story short, this was God. And the robot said, oh, are you God? Well, some people call me that, yes. And the robot said, well, I was God once. But when I tried to help them out too much, I really messed up and they relied on me for everything. And when I didn't help them out at all, they went crazy and killed each other. And the nebula replied, well, yeah, that, that happens. That, that's, uh, you know, that's not good. He said, there's an art to helping people as God. What you have to do is you have to help in such a way that nobody knows it's you doing it. And I thought, wow, what a profound observation from a heathen that writes a a science fiction cartoon for adults. That's the way God works, folks. He does it, and you can never prove that it's him. I fully believe that the reason me and my wife are here in Riverview, New Brunswick is because God put us here. I can't prove that. I cannot die on that hill. I believe it, though. So I believe if we're able to raise the support we need, which we haven't yet, but we always have what we need for some reason, somehow. But I believe that's God working. But the problem is we don't know. You know, it seems like every time we get down to nothing as far as our finances, something comes in. Somebody hears about the work and says, hey, how are you doing on support? Well, we're still short. Okay, how are you doing now? Well, we got about $100 in the bank. We got another 30 days till everything comes in. Oh, well, we want to send y'all something, and they send us 1500 bucks, and it gets us through the month. It's amazing how it works. Now, is that God working or is that is that happenstance? Is that is that a a coincidence? I don't know. Guess who I'm going to give the credit to it? Guess to whom I'm going to give credit? I'm going to give credit for God. And so I'm talking about this in the class, and our visitor was like, "Man, I'm with you. It makes sense, but." But it just seems like a miracle to me. If, if, if God works, it's a miracle, right? And then I gave him something that caused a light switch to go off. All we had to do was define miracle. And maybe that will help us out. Can you define the word miracle? A miracle is a phenomenon that defies natural law. It supersedes natural law. For instance, the creation of something ex nihilo, something from nothing, the create, or uh, something going from death to life. In other words, this table, if I smack this table and up grows a tree, That is a bona fide miracle that supersedes natural law because the laws of nature, life cannot come from non-life. Life always has to come from life. Non-living matter cannot produce living matter, period, bar none. No exceptions. 
So if non-living matter ever produces living matter, then that's a bona fide miracle. Rita Keeling, God answers prayers in his way. Yes, he does. But there's one way in which he will never answer a prayer. He will never answer it by use of a miracle. And that's what we were talking about last night, or that's what we were talking about Sunday night. Um, the age of miracles are over. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophet, hath in these last days chosen to spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ. Well, Revelation has ended. When I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, there's no more prophecy, there's no more knowledge, there's no more, there, there's nothing, there's no more miracles, nothing, it's over. Now, do, does that mean that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit does not work in the world today? God forbid. Daniel chapter 4, do you remember Daniel chapter 4? Nebuchadnezzar, he had eye problems. I've done this. I built this kingdom. I'm a great man. I get all the glory. I, I, me, me, I'm good. He had what I call little Jack Horner syndrome. He stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum, and he said, my, my, I'm a good boy. Well, Daniel was told to go tell Nebuchadnezzar that he's going to spend some time being humbled down until he learns that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and sets up the basis of men to rule the nations. Folks, there is not one thing that I've ever read in my Bible that tells me that that's not true even today. So why did I point that out? Because there's one thing that lets me know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are working in the world today, separate and apart from the Word of God. But what I know of other scriptures and what I know of other teachings is they're not doing it in a miraculous, direct way. The fullness of time has come and gone. The uh, Son of God, the, the, the woman has the the seed has come being born of a virgin under the law. God is parsimonious. He's not going to do more than he has to. He's not going to do something twice. When he does something once, he does it good enough the first time that it does not have to be repeated. So just by an understanding of logic and applying our logic to it, the age of miracles is over. There's no more need for them because of the completeness of God's word. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't still answer prayers. I want to talk just a little bit. That's it, Deb. We've got the complete word. And quite frankly, you, you wrote something up above that I meant to, I, I, I put it in the back of my head, so I need to repeat, I need to read that. And I forgot about it. Perhaps God, that's it. Perhaps God answered providentially. That's it. God answers our prayers and, and, and he works providentially. And that might be a weird word to some of us, 
It means God provides. God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. That's the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Well, how does he cause it to rain? I don't know. I do know that when he opened up the windows of heaven, he poured out the curse, the wrath, in the form of that water vapor crashing down on the earth, that it forever changed our weather patterns. And now we have storms and clouds and water vapor that swirl around in our atmosphere. And when they get, when those clouds get heavy enough laden with, with vapor and that, that uh, water vapor gets heavy enough with solid nutrients, it, it, it condenses around that solid nutrients and those particles, those laden particles fall to the ground as precipitation. And whoever, I mean, large swaths of a, of a nation will be covered in rain and many people who are wicked will get the blessing of that rain and many people who are righteous will get the blessing of that rain. And you better thank God for it because that's who gave it to us. And that is providence. Um, that's it. Jonathan knew where I was going. God ruleth in the kingdoms of men. And as Deb said, we've got the complete word. We don't need a miracle. If we needed miracles, God would be doing miracles. That's it. And incidentally, if God would be doing miracles, then you would know it was God doing miracles. It would not be where you had to guess. It would be a miracle. You would know it. That's another thing. that The miracle is notable, manifest, and undeniable if it's a miracle. Well, just because, just because your kidney stones cleared up after you've been going to the doctor and taking medicine, that doesn't mean that's a miracle because it's not manifest, it's not notable, and it is very much deniable. Missy Malone says she's coming in late. Man, that's okay, just as long as you come in. Good to see you. And uh, Jonathan says, God provides what he promises. Example, he never promised to pay her car loans and mortgage payments. That he did not. So uh, let's talk a little bit about providence and, and the time remaining. We've got a lot more time remaining than I thought. I've got another couple of, another couple of um, things I want to cover, too, along the lines of providence. But let's go to the book of Philemon. Anybody remember where Philemon is? You can lose it if you don't watch it. All right. It's right before Hebrews, right after uh, Titus. Check this out. Verse 10 of Philemon. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without my mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. Here's the, here's the punch, folks. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season 
that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant or a slave, but above a slave, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, let's think about this. Onesimus evidently was a disgruntled slave in the house of Philemon. It may be the text alludes to the fact that he might have even stole some stuff from Philemon, and he absconded and and run off to Rome, and lo and behold, wouldn't you know it, he met Paul while he was there. What a coincidence. He could have gone anywhere in the world, but he went to Rome. He could have met anybody in the world, but he met Paul. And lo and behold, Paul read the gospel to him, read the gospel. Paul taught him the gospel, may have read him the gospel, who knows? And Onesimus obeyed, and Paul says, look, I have a mind to keep you here because Onesimus needs to minister to me, and I need minister too, but I don't want to compel Onesimus by my authority as a Philemon. I don't want to compel Philemon by my authority as an apostle. So I'm going to send you back. You mean I've been liberated by Jesus Christ and you're going to make me go back as a slave? Yep. Jesus Christ does not alleviate your position on this earth. It's for the other world. Besides which, we may owe him something. So you go back. But carry this letter of commendation to Philemon, and that's what the book of Philemon is. It is Onesimus' letter of commendation from his brother Paul. Now, Paul says, Perhaps he therefore departed for a little while, a season, for the purpose that thou shouldest receive him forever. In other words, you lost him for a little while, but it may be that the reason you lost him for a little while is so you could have him back forever. It may be that you lost him for a little while as a slave, that you may receive him back forever as a brother. Paul was acknowledging the providence of God, but he wouldn't explicitly state that it was God's providence that brought Onesimus and Paul together. Paul, an inspired man. Deb, we're going to Esther number next, I promise you, because that is a one, I I get chill bumps when I read that passage in Esther and what it means and, and the implications of it. But Paul, an inspired, Holy Spirit inspired man, an ambassador of Jesus Christ Almighty, would not say one way or the other. He just said, perhaps, This is why this happened. It could have been coincidence, or it could have been the purpose for it happening. God could have been involved all along. (laughs) No reason to apologize, Deb. It's all good. No reason to apologize at all. All right. Boy, that's a Southern... No reason to apologize. No reason to apologize. I should, I, should, I should enunciate my words better. Anyway, God told Moses to put his hand in his bosom, and when he removed it, it was leprous. And then he told him to return it back in his bosom, and when made whole, that's a miracle. There's no question, no guessing. That's it, Scott. Excellent. 
And good evening, Sandra Tucker. Good to see you. When you study Philemon, make sure to file him on your computer when you love your notes. <laughs> he loves puns. And good to see you, Sue Ross. And that's it, Connie. Oh, hold on. First Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. You got it. Everybody needs to study that and study it hard. When that which is perfect is come, that that which is uh, in part shall be done away. Where am I going? Oh, yeah, Esther. Where'd we put Esther? Should be right after Nehemiah. Esther, chapter 4 is where I want to go. Now, remember, Esther and Mordecai. Mordecai, I think, was Esther's uncle. If I'm understanding familial terms, Hebrew familial terms correctly, I, I could be wrong. Y'all need to check me on that. But she, he acted as her father. The king... <laughs> the king was wicked, didn't like his wife, and he put her away. But he had to replace his wife, and he rounded up a bunch of women, and he really took a shine to Esther. In the meantime, the king... Mordecai, rather, uh, hears of some people that were plotting against the king, and he tells Esther, and Esther tells the king, and so Esther or, the, or Mordecai finds favor in the eyes of the king. Well, also, this fellow Haman wanted everybody to um, everybody to bow down whenever something happened, and Mordecai. <laughs> Excuse me, Mordecai did not bow down. I'm sorry, I'm dealing with a head code. Anyway, Mordecai did not bow down, and 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 that made Haman all kinds of mad. So Haman goes and he whispers in the ears of the king, says, "Hey, these Jews, they're troublesome. We ought to, you ought to let me kill them. On the feast of Purim, we're going to kill them all, and and they don't have a right to bear arms. So uh, it'll be easy." Mordecai hears this, he goes to Esther and says, look, you need to go take care of this. You need to go before the king. And she says, no. If I go before the king and he hasn't bid me come, he could kill me. I'll be risking my life. Now listen to what Mordecai tells her. Verse 13 of Esther chapter 4. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not within thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. In other words, your fate is going to be the same fate as all the rest of us, Esther. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. He might as well have said God will deliver his people from another place. God, God will deliver his people another way. God is never mentioned in this book, though. But he certainly is on every page. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Now, why would, would Esther and her father's house be destroyed? Genesis 49.10 The scepter shall not depart from Judah 
nor a lawgiver from between his feet. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. In thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. The seed is going to be from the line of Judah, the kingly line. Esther was of the house of Benjamin. Mordecai, in my opinion, knew the scriptures well enough that God would save alive the tribe of Judah because that's the only tribe he would have to save in order to fulfill the seed promise of Abraham. I believe that is why he told Esther, enlargement and salvation will come from another place, but you and your house, your, your house and, your, and the house of your father, it'll perish. Now let's keep going. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is another tipped hat to the providence of God. Esther, it may be that God has put you here for this time and this purpose. Mordecai would not say for sure, but he acknowledged that it could be true. And you and I know that it is true because we have it preserved in our canon of Scripture. that this was God working. And I explained all this Sunday night, and we had a good conversation about prayer and how God answers prayers and how God works in the world today. And that fellow said, this is so, he said, I'm going to have to go back and study all of this over with a proper understanding of what a miracle is and God's parsimony and, and God's providence. This dude is just, he is on fire, man. I'm so happy to have him, and I'm so happy that in my conviction, God has put me here, and these people are growing, and these people are, uh, well, they're just that thirsty. And then this fellow was just, and, and I told him, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words because I can't describe to you his excitement. And I, I finally had to tell him, I said, look, it's not that you've learned anything new. Most things that are very difficult to understand become much more easy to understand when we have the proper nomenclature. Now you know about God's parsimony. You know that principle. Now you know about God's providence. You understand that principle. And now you understand exactly what a miracle is, and you know that principle. And now when you read Scripture, you can identify these things. And the main thing we have to do is demystify the Bible. The, the Bible is not a mystery. It's not mystic. And he says, man, you're right. And he says, you're right. He says, I've just never seen it before. Anyway, it's awesome. Robbie Everso, brother, you're too kind to me. I appreciate it. Um. Deb, Deb Hibbert says, and aside, Galatians 3.16, now to Abraham and his seed, whoops, there it is. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith, and to seeds, uh, not, oh boy, I messed up. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. 
I love this verse. Even to one letter, it is specific. That is seed, not seeds. That's just how specific God's word is. We cannot mess with it. You got that right. Deb, I'll show you nothing. Let's go to the book of John. This blows my mind. John chapter 6, the very end of it. This is one of Peter's bright, shining moments. And God bless him. He needs as many of them as he can get because he surely has some classic or, or some epic blunders, does he not? I kind of I kind of identify with Peter. <laughs> I have I have intermittent I have intermittent brilliance. Yeah, in, in in between my inner my my bouts of intermittent brilliance, I have great catastrophe. All right, where am I at here? Verse sixty-seven. Then Jesus said to the twelve, "This is John six sixty-seven. Then Jesus said to the twelve, "Will ye also go away?" Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the, now listen to it, words. I don't think that's by accident, my, my, my brethren. Thou hast the words of eternal life. Never, ever overlook a word and why a word was used. Because all of the words are important. All of the words are important. Good point, Deb. Excellent point. The Bible is all the words in the Bible. Remember, the parsimony of God. That's why all the words are important. God's not going to give us words we don't need. God's not going to give us words that are meaningless. I do not believe there's anything in the Bible that's arbitrary. Now, we don't need to assign more meaning to it than God assigned to it. But nothing in the Bible is meaningless. We might have a hard time ascertaining its meaning. But it's not meaningless. De Diana, Diana Harden, I'm so thankful for the great things happening there and for you, Tony, and your family. Thank you so much. And keep us in your prayers. Connie says, there aren't many women mentioned in Scripture, but those who are were great women of God. Mostly. Not all, but mostly. That's right. Some of them, some of them were great in other ways. I think about old Jezebel. Cecil May has a good book on providence, in my opinion, but no book better than the subject in the Bible. That's right, Jonathan. Uh, Deb says, yes, it's another good one. Ha ha. Good for you to have intermittent brilliance. <laughs> it missed me totally. Uh, no, it didn't. I don't think it did. I, I think everybody has inter bouts of intermittent br brilliance. It's just the problem is, how how deep how how much do you dip when you're not intermittently brilliant? Like it's kind of like the 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 crest and the trough. My problem is my waves are big. You know, I have this intermittent brilliance, and then it goes way down. the The object is to keep the intermittent brilliance, but don't go too far down during your during your downtime. Sadly, I I don't always succeed at that. Scott Wall, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, whereas the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. But now hath God set the members, even one, even one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Absolutely. And <laughs> Deb says, I'm in the valley most of the time. I'm with you. Babe Ruth had 3,000 at-bats. 
He only hit about about 800, 700 and something home runs out of 3,000 at-bats. Babe Ruth was also the strikeout king. I don't, I don't think that it matters. If, unless we let it matter, I don't think it matters about the, about the low spots. I think it's the high spots that matter. I really do. I don't mean to get all eloquent on you or wax poetic or emotional, but yeah, I, I, think, I think when we look back on our lives, try to look back on our lives the way God looks at us, and I don't think God sees the low spots. I think, I think God sees the good stuff if we're in Christ. If we're not in Christ, I suppose he sees it all. Anyway, I think I'm done. I, I don't really feel like I had a really cohesive lesson or anything tonight. I just wanted to share with you, not to be too on the nose, I wanted to share with you some of my cogitations uh, when it comes to some of these things I've been discussing with uh, some of these visitors and all that. And, um, yeah, um, God's providence is wonderful. And if we if we understand these three principles, God's parsimony, God, how God works with miracles, and um, God's providence, and we have that we have that nomenclature, and we read the Bible and we ask ourselves, okay, is is this a miracle or is this providence? And what would what would God's parsimony call for? Meaning God's not do, going to do a miracle when a lighter touch will suffice. Then we demystify the Bible, and the Bible becomes much easier to understand for us. And I think that's what this fella is really clamoring for, and what he's really being impressed by. It's like wow, it's not mystic. It's just a book written by an organized mind to people with logically arranged, organized minds who can understand what was written. Just like if I wrote you a letter. I can write you a letter where you understand exactly what I'm saying. Don't you think the Holy Spirit can do better than me? Then we don't need any direct operation of the Holy Spirit. He's already done it. Um, I guess I could leave us. Let's go to John 16 really quickly, and I'll end with this thought. Big John, big bad John. All right. John 16. That's it. The Bible isn't trying to trick you. Now, I'll try to trick you sometimes. I'll ask a question, and... uh I'll try to trick you, but I only do that either for humor or to pull, prove a point. Check this out. John 16, verse 8. Now, let's do verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter, the paracletos, the paraclete, will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit's work 
was to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Now, the Holy Spirit does the exact same job today in the exact same way he did it in the first century. He did it through the Word. Does he not? How did, how did, when the Comforter came on the day of Pentecost, how was the world reproved of sin, of righteousness, and judgment? Well, Peter preached a hole in the ground on the day of Pentecost about Jesus being the Son of God. Check this out. Jesus is the Son of God. So they were reproved of sin because the Holy Spirit testified that Jesus is the Son of God. So the world was reproved of sin because they didn't believe on Jesus. Some of those people were reproved of righteousness because Jesus was gone to the Father and they saw him no more, and the Holy Spirit testified of that. And then of judgment, the Holy Spirit judged the world. He judged it to come up short because the prince of this world, the people who were heirs of the world, they were going to receive the harsh judgment. And in fact, the Jews, which is to whom the gospel was delivered first, they killed the Messiah, which culminated in their destruction in AD 70. So he judged the world. But it was all done through the word. That's it. He will tell you words whereby you and your household might be saved. Cornelius needed to hear words. And the Holy Spirit accomplished his trifold mission to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment through the Word of God, and that's the way the Holy Spirit accomplishes that mission today. He reproves me of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. If I'm right with Jesus Christ, I am not reproved of sin. Well, I was reproved of sin when I wasn't right, but because I obeyed uh, uh, I obeyed the gospel. Uh, the Holy Spirit also reproves me of righteousness because Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And I'm also reproved of judgment. I have been judged righteous because I am no longer a prince of the world, but I am a priest of the kingdom of God. Anyway, I think that's neat, to be honest with you. If I'm being honest, I've heard some of these kids say, well, if I'm being honest, well, I hope you're being honest. All right, I feel like I've missed some stuff. <laughs> Good deal. Y'all got y'all, y'all, y'all are doing very well. I like it whenever people talk back and forth to each other in the chat. That's good. That's it. We don't need a secret decoder ring to understand the Bible, and thank God for that. We can all understand it alike. And that's it, Connie, our Christ, uh, Christine Woodall. Mystery revealed or fulfilled. And Scott Beck says, good, good show, brother. Also enjoyed this morning's show with Aaron. Well, thank you, Scott Beck. I really appreciate it. And uh, Deb says, we need to change the lenses we use when studying the scriptures. We come to it with lenses that do not see clearly what is just so plain. That's it. And how, the, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It's a good one to end on. Let's all be preachers. Let's tell forth the word of God because that's God's power to save. It's not mystical. It's not magical. 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is working in the world today. How? We don't know. If you want to, if you want to read what the Bible says about how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost work in the world to get today, go to Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29, and it'll tell you everything the Bible says about it. How does the Holy Spirit operate in salvation? The power is in God's Word always. It's, it's words whereby we in our household will be saved. So let's preach the Word of God. Uh, I don't know that I would ever do a cooking show, Jonathan. Um, I do I do cook barbecue quite a bit, but anyway, it's about to hit wintertime up here, and that'll be over for a few months. Folks, I'm so thankful that you've tuned in. Thank you for... Um, Thank you for your support. Thank you for your comments. Blows my mind that there's 36 people in here listening to me at 10 o'clock on, well, on Atlantic time, 8 o'clock on Central. Uh, so much other stuff you could be doing, and it's not lost on me that you've decided to spend an hour with me. Be sure and subscribe to the Cogitations podcast. Yes, yeah, it more like six months of winter. You got that. I don't know. I'll be hard-headed. I'll, 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 smoke, I'll smoke meat when there's, no, when there's snow on the ground. But anyway, um, be sure and subscribe to the Cogitations podcast. I am going to use this in my normal upload schedule. And uh, if you like what we do and want to help us out, be sure and support digitalbiblestudy.locals.com. You can support me directly uh, at www.patreon.com forward slash near churches. Um, I don't do anything over there. It's just a way some people say, Tony, I want to support your podcast. What's the best way to do it? If you want it to go to direct, if you want it to go directly to me, Patreon near churches, www.patreon.com forward slash near churches. And uh, that's all I've got here. God bless y'all. This has been Tony Brewer's Cogitations, and this episode has been powered by digitalbiblestudy.org, and we'll catch you on the flip side.